Good morning. Welcome to Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church for worship today. Today, the first Sunday in the season of Lent, we see what has always been the uh, traditional reading for the first Sunday in Lent, Jesus and the temptation in the desert. We'll consider that briefly in our sermon today, especially in light of Romans chapter 5, where Paul describes Jesus as the second Adam. The service is outlined for you in your service folder. It begins with hymn number 106 and continues in the front part of your red hymnal on page 15. God bless your worship. continue in the very front portion of your red hymnal. Please rise. 
And please also note, during the season of Lent, we will forego our most joyful songs, especially the Gloria in Excelsis and our Alleluias. We begin today in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior Jesus Christ, I pray. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us and has given His only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by His authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Lord, our strength, the battle of good and evil rages within and around us, and our ancient foe tempts us with his deceits and empty promises. Keep us steadfast in your word, and when we fall, raise us up again and restore us through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word. Nice and close. Our first reading comes from Genesis. It's selected verses from chapter 2 and chapter 3. When the first man sins, God promises to send a substitute. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made every kind of tree grow, trees that are pleasant to look at and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and settled him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. The Lord God gave a, the command to the, gave a command to the man. He said, You may freely eat from every tree in the garden, but you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now the serpent was more clever than any wild animal which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, has God really said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but not from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. God has said, 
You shall not eat from it. You shall not touch it, or else you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die. In fact, God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a healing to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took some of its fruit and ate. She gave some also to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We'll continue with Psalm 130 on page 114. Our second reading comes from Romans 5:12-19. God sent another son in human flesh to be the son that Adam had not, and obey where Adam did not, in order to bring life where Adam brought death. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death spread to all people because all sinned. 
For even before the law was given, sin was in the world. Now sin is not charged to one's account if there is no law, and yet death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgressions of Adam, who is a pattern of the one who was to come. But the gracious gifts if the gracious gift is not like Adam's trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of this one man, it is even more certain that God's grace and the gift given by the grace of the man Jesus Christ overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin, for the judgment that followed the one trespass resulted in the verdict of condemnation. But the gracious gift that followed many trespasses results in a verdict of justification. Indeed, if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man, it is even more certain that those who receive the overflowing grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So then, just as one trespass led to the verdict of condemnation for all people, so also one righteous verdict led to life-giving justification for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many became sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will become righteous. Our theme verse is printed for you there. It comes from Matthew chapter 4. It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of our gospel. Our gospel lesson comes from Matthew chapter 4. The second Adam goes to war to regain all that the first Adam had lost. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city. He placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not test the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, I will give you all of these things, if you will bow down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go away, Satan, for it, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and just then angels came and served him. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I invite you to turn to the front portion of our red hymnal to page 18, where you'll find our confession of faith, the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed. 
We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. We continue with our next hymn, number 201.
Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 4, as well as a little bit from Romans chapter 5. It's often called the fall into sin, as though Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden is nothing more than two people walking along an icy sidewalk or sliding down some ice-covered stairs. It's often termed that way, and we even speak of it that way about ourselves. Well, I, I don't know what happened. I just fell into sin again. But for them, and even for us, it didn't quite happen that way. It wasn't a fall so much as a Carl Lewis running a long jump off the edge of the cliff. And yeah, the consequent fall... And the bodies, made from dust, turning back to dust, lay there at the bottom of the ravine like just so many shattered clay pots. And you might think, well, okay, Adam and Eve, but what does that have to do with me? But every single person, from Adam on down, shares the same guilt, and starts in the same place at the bottom of that blasted ravine. It's almost like like as the, the clay lay there, and more clay appears, trying to climb back up, but can't. Well, maybe if you just try really hard, maybe if you commit yourself to Christ, maybe if you um, just have the right set of Christian principles, then you can climb your way back up. Or if you do X, Y, and Z... X, Y, and Z for the Canadians in the room, then you can climb back up by your own ladder. But that totally misses the point, because dead means dead. And Adam and Eve used to be alive, spiritually alive, but now they were dead. And there was no climbing out. What were they to do? And you and I started life in the same place. And the way that God describes it here in Romans chapter 5 is that he he draws exactly on the creation account of Genesis chapter 2, where God made Adam out of the dust of the ground, breathed into him the breath of life. And then when God created Eve, that suitable helper, God did not go back to the dust and make an Eve. He took a piece from Adam, stretched and pulled and shaped and breathed into her the breath of life. And so every single person, Adam and Eve on down, all share the exact same human sinful flesh. There's no getting around it. And it actually is sin, and it actually is damnable, because that's the point that Paul goes on to prove. You see, Adam was the one who had been given the command. And Adam broke that command by eating from the tree. And his sin was born out in all the clay pots shattered at the bottom of the ravine that were born after him, that shared the same human sinful flesh. Paul puts it this way. Death reigned 
from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Now, what in the world? This is a very fine point that he's making here. God gave one command. God gave one command at the beginning of time, said, do not eat from this tree. And God didn't give any other commands until the time of Moses, when God gave the written law from Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, an excellent summary of God's moral law. And yes, people still had their consciences, they still had God's moral law written on their hearts, but Paul says the reason they died was because they were descended from Adam. It's almost like, like a basketball game. You might have been the all-star during the warm-ups, draining threes from all the other way at the other side of the court, scoring a lot of points that way, but the scoreboard wasn't ticking yet. And that's kind of the way God describes it, in a sense, that, that those sins committed before Moses were left unpunished. But the people still died. They died because they were descended from Adam, made from the same shattered clay pot, and no amount of effort or commitment or attempt or trying would ever be able to help them get up that ravine. Sounds like a terrible spot to be in. An even worse spot to be in is to be stuck there at the bottom and have somebody extend you a rope <laughs> that isn't tied to anything. Here, if you just do this, then you'll be spiritually alive. If you just obey more, try harder, do more, refrain from more, then, finally, you'll have some spiritual life. But that fails. And the attempt of trying to put it out of one's mind, well, I'm actually alive because I feel alive and, and I feel like I can make a decision to, to be alive and to please God, but that fails too. Clay pot's telling one another that we're not broken. Sorry, <laughs> we are. What would God do? He sends another jar. Not a jar specifically, but a human who shared the same humanity as Adam and Eve and you and me, yet he was without sin. We don't know the miracle of how exactly God did it. We just know that God did. Where Adam, where the second Adam, the Jesus that we know and love, was the actual literal physical son of Mary. Probably had his mother's eyes. But he was incarnate of the Holy Spirit. That is to say that through the miracle of the incarnation, God did not let any taint of sin stain his son. In other words, he remade a perfect clay jar. This second Adam, who would succeed, succeed where the first Adam had failed. And so this clay jar, this Jesus Christ, lived his life, and you might say, well, okay, 
you're perfect. So what? There's the devil standing at the edge of the cliff, almost like holding out um, a fishing pole with a lure at the end of it. Oh, all you have to do, you're kind of hungry today, aren't you? Just use your, use your power for your own personal gain. Prove that you're the Son of God. If you really are the Son of God, well, you know that God won't let you die. Jump on down. God has angels. You know how many angels he has. He'll send them to protect you. And besides, do you really want to go through with that suffering a cross and thorns? Just set all that aside because God can promise you through me, Satan says, you can have a life of comfort and ease, your best life now, and all you have to do is just bow down. Just even bow your head. That's all it takes. The temptation was set, the lure dangled out there, and what would this clay jar do? Does he walk to the edge? Well, it's not that far. No. He says, absolutely not. And you could picture Jesus standing at the edge of that ravine, Satan right there just saying, jump on off, it's okay. And Jesus says, absolutely not. Because I care about them. Because I care about them. The broken clay jars at the bottom of the ravine. And so Jesus battles Satan, retaining his perfect track record of absolute holiness, only to exchange it, not that day in the desert, but to exchange it at the cross of Calvary, where God gathered up the shards of our broken sinfulness, placed them on his Son, and Jesus said to you and to me, here is you. Here is your new clay jar. And that second aspect, the first aspect is taking away the guilt of sin. The second aspect, when he gives the freedom, when he gives this perfect holiness, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 4. He is living up to God's demands at every step of the way. Because as a Christian, Jesus didn't just take away your guilt and take away your sin and say, okay, here's what you have to do. Here's a few principles for life and follow these. You'll have a happy, healthy, wealthy life. Or even you'll live up to God's demands and you'll finish and you'll, you'll do what God demands. Good luck. No, he says, this life, the life of this one who was perfect at every step of the way, who denied every temptation of the devil, this life is yours. And if there was any doubt about it, because you and I, standing up here on this cliff once more, where Jesus has put us as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we still <laughs> hear the temptation. And we still struggle even, and yes, sin. Romans chapter 5 is followed by Romans chapter 7, where Paul says, the good that I want to do, that I don't do. What I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. That's a fun one to read, isn't it? 
And when you hear it or you read it for yourself, you recognize, I know exactly what Paul is talking about here. Because in my Christian heart, I love and delight in what God has said. But that sinful nature, the brokenness still inside, wants the life of ease. Says, it's not that bad, it's just this once. And the devil holds the lure out there, dangles the lure out there, just one more step, that's all it is. And if we step, he jumps with the hook. The trap is shut. How can you know that Jesus has really forgiven you? The first seed of doubt, the delusion of the devil. How can you know that Jesus has really forgiven you? What is our solace? What is our comfort? Do we, do we resort back to what all the other broken pots had said? Well, I need to do X, Y, and Z. If I just refrain from this and do more of that, then I can pay God back and work back up to where I had been. I can undo the wrong that I did, right? I'll, I'll, I'll pay it back with extra. No. Our comfort is in the revealed Word of God. Christ died for the sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall, not have, shall have eternal life. He so loved the world. God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself. There's no sin left out, no person left out, and so that first lure of the devil, the doubt that he tries to sow, lies broken once more. God did it all. Jesus raised you from the dead. Jesus washed away all of your sins. The devil knows his Bible. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but how are you sure that you are a Christian? Because do Christians really do the things that you do and think the things that you think and say the things that you say? How can you be sure? He tries to sow in the seed of doubt once more in an attempt to lead Christians away from Christ. And there, we go back to what God's Word says. I was baptized. God buried me. God raised me from the dead. And he says that as a statement of fact. There's no idea, no hint of a metaphor. It's not an illustration. Because the wording that he uses there in, for instance, Romans, Romans chapter 6, is absolute statement of fact. I was buried with Christ, I have been raised with Christ, and because God raised me from the dead in baptism, I know that I am alive. Because Jesus has announced his forgiveness in his word, I know that I am alive. Because Christ has clothed me again with his righteousness, I know that I stand as perfect and holy in the sight of God. Because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world and I have been declared forgiven, that is my status before God. You see, we look back to Adam and Eve, definitely. The first two people coming from a literal seven-day creation, and we are their descendants. 
The lessons of history have taught us again and again that Christians, even Christians, to say nothing of any other voices in this world, will try to direct us away from Christ, try to divert our attention from Jesus, try to sow in doubt where none remains. And the only comfort we have, the only certainty we have, is in the Word of God, where he says, Jesus died and rose. And this forgiveness was made your own personal possession when the Holy Spirit created faith and baptism, when he nourished that faith in the living water of his word, when he washed you again with his body and his blood. So you see, the Eden that God had prepared for Adam and Eve really pales in comparison to the eternity that God has in store for you and for me. And if you want to picture it, I mean, you can picture it any way that the Bible says, as a, as a wedding banquet, as a streets of gold, this new Jerusalem, as, as like the, the groom Jesus meeting his bride, the church. Any of those things. Allow me to introduce one. It's not on par, par with any of those, but perhaps it communicates with what we've talked about today. The picture of a cupboard. The picture of the place where absolutely perfect jars are kept safe. They've been washed, they've been restored, and they've been brought into the household of God. All of that revealed to us in the Word of God, seen today as this Jesus goes out and battles where we had fallen and conquers where we had died and raises us to life where we had been found and promises eternal life with him forever. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We'll continue with the Create in Me as found on page 20 in the very front portion of your red hymnal. You may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering.
I direct your attention to the very front portion of your red hymnal on page 125. And on page 125, you will find our responsive prayer for the season of Lent. Please rise. Page 125. Heavenly Father, you loved the world and gave your Son to liberate us from sin and death by his obedient death on the cross. Lord of the Church, we thank you for the treasure of the Gospel. By your Spirit, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us pray for those who carry a cross in the name of Christ and face ridicule and persecution for the sake of the kingdom. Missionaries and chaplains, young people who stand up for what is right in the face of pressure to do what is wrong, and all who pay a high price for their faith and their values as Christians. Let us pray for those who carry heavy burdens in life, the sick and the chronically ill, the depressed and the lonely, those torn by conflict in personal relationships, those victimized by war and injustice, and all who face the terrors of life with a heavy heart. Let us pray for those who care for others, pastors and counselors, physicians and nurses, social workers and caring friends, all who feed the hungry, comfort the hurting, and stand beside the dying. Now hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Help us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Keep us faithful even to the point of death that we may receive the crown of life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we also join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I also direct your attention to page 156, the personal preparation for Holy Communion. What does God tell me about myself in his holy word? It says that I am a sinner and deserve only his punishment. What should I do if I am not aware of my sins or am not troubled by them? I should examine myself according to the Ten Commandments and ask how well I have carried out my responsibilities as a husband or wife or single person, as a parent or child, an employer or employee, a teacher or student. Have I loved God with all my heart, gladly heard his word, and patiently endured affliction? Have I been disobedient, proud, or unforgiving? Have I been selfish, lazy, envious, or quarrelsome? Have I lied or deceived? taken something not mine, or given anyone a bad name? Have I abused my body, or permitted indecent thoughts to linger in my mind? Have I failed to do what is right and good? 
When I realize that I have sinned against God and deserve his punishment, what should I do? I will confess before God all my sins, those which I remember, as well as those of which I am unaware. I will pray to God for his mercy and forgiveness. How do I receive his gracious forgiveness? His word assures me that Jesus led a pure and holy life for me and died on the cross for me to pay the full price for all my sins. Through faith in Jesus, I have been clothed in my Savior's perfect righteousness and holiness. What further assurance do I have that Jesus is mine and I am his? In holy communion, he gives me his body and blood together with the bread and the wine as a truly life-giving food and drink to unite me with him and my fellow believers. By means of this sacrament, Jesus not only forgives my sins, but sweeps away all my doubts about his love for me, gives me his own strength to live a God-pleasing life, and grants me a joyful foretaste of heaven. How can I be sure that I receive all these blessings in the Lord's Supper? I have his word, words spoken as his last will and testament on the night before he died. There he tells me, Take and eat, this is my body. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. How will I respond to this priceless gift from Jesus? I will daily thank and praise him for his love to me. With his help, I will fight temptation, do my best to correct whatever wrongs I have done, and serve him and those around me with love and good works. And we join to pray. Lord Jesus, with joy and gratitude, I now come to your table to receive the precious food of your life-giving body and blood. May it strengthen me to remain in you as you remain in me, so that I bear much fruit in devoted service to you and in acts of kindness to one another. We continue with the sacrament. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good and right that we should at all times and in all places give you thanks, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord who brought the gift of salvation to all people by his death on the tree of the cross, so that the devil who overcame us by a tree would in turn by a tree be overcome. Therefore, with all the saints on earth and hosts of heaven, we praise your holy name and join their glorious song.
Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. We give thanks, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us with this Holy Supper. We pray that through it, you will strengthen our faith in you and increase our love for one another. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. You may be seated for our closing hymn. 